Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. God creates, and then he wants his creation to mature. That's the story of Genesis. He creates Adam out of the dirt, then creates Eve out of Adam's side, and then he just vanishes from sight. Okay, you might have wondered, why would God let a serpent into his garden? Why would he let a serpent talk to Eve? And the answer is, he wants his creatures to mature. He wants them to be as wise as serpents, and yet as innocent as doves. And helicopter parenting is no way to mature a child. God creates, and then he wants his creation to mature. That's the story of the book of Acts. Okay, the church is born, the church is created out of our Lord's side on the cross where the water and blood flows. And then our Lord resurrects, and then 40 days later, he ascends out of sight into heaven. They can't see him no more. And the point is, the church needs to mature. That's the story of Acts. It's about a baby church growing up, learning how to confess Jesus when they can't see him in the face of a hostile world. God creates, and he wants his creation to mature. That is John chapter 9. Jesus heals a blind man, which had never been done before. Never. Never since creation. The blind man himself says it. Never since the world began. You have three resurrections in the Old Testament. One from Elijah, two from Elisha. But zero blind men getting healed. And the sign looks an awful lot like creation. Jesus plays in the dirt makes mud with his spit, call it a life-giving water. And he anoints the man's eyes with mud. And this anointing action is important. Remember, anointed one, the Greek word is Christ, so he does a Christological action to this man's eyes. That's creation. But since sin, it is not good enough to only be born once. You must be born again. You must be born of water and the Spirit. And so, Jesus sends him to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Now, in verse 4, Jesus calls himself the sent one. And now he tells the blind man, go wash in the pool named sent. So what he is saying is, go wash in me. This is what baptism is. It is a washing in Jesus. It is a real participation in his death and his resurrection. It is a new birth where you can finally see who Jesus is. Except you can't see him. <laughs> okay, it should strike you that Jesus heals a blind man and then is nowhere to be found. He's opened this guy's eyes, but he won't let him see him. Okay, we read all 41 verses of John chapter 9 this morning. Good reason for that. It's the entire story. And Jesus is noticeably absent from verses 8 to 34. Because he wants the man to grow up. He wants him to mature. Some would say that they would believe in God if they could only see him. Those people are liars. The fact is, we did see God. He healed a blind man. They didn't believe it. Jesus came back from the dead, and they turned his resurrection into a conspiracy. And so it is actually for our good that Jesus would ascend out of sight into heaven. It's good because then and only then do we mature. 
And maturity happens through trials, temptations, and questions from the world. And so, the man who was blind, who washed in the pool of scent, he is now sent himself into the world to be questioned. He is sent like a lamb amongst the wolves. And the questions start out easy enough. It's the man's neighbors. It's kind of comical. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, yeah, it's he. Others said, no, but he is like him. <laughs> Confusion all around. If only they could take a four-day darkness retreat in the Pacific Northwest, they might be able to see what's going on. Or, better yet, if only they would listen to what this former blind man is actually saying. Verse 9, he kept saying, I am. Period. Not I am the man, not I am he. Okay, the blind man says, I am. And this is so significant. This is what Jesus says. This is God's name. This is Yahweh, the great I am. And now, the man who was blind, he himself is saying it. What does it mean? Well, this is the basic confession. Who are you? And the answer is, I am a Christian. Christ is in the name. Okay, two simple words he says, I am. But it says everything you need to know. When you are baptized, your identities are so intertwined with God's that you actually take on his name, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You might not be able to see Jesus, but he is always with you because you have been born of the water and the Spirit. But after being born in baptism, the time comes when we have to say more than two words. We have to say more than I am. Okay, the first Christian creed was Jesus is Lord. Amen and amen. But eventually the church has to say more. Eventually it's 325, and Arius is saying that Jesus was created, made, not begotten. And so it is time for the church to confess the Nicene Creed and say, no, he was begotten and not made. Eventually it is the year 451, and it is time for the church to confess Christ's two natures at the Council of Chalcedon. Eventually it's the year 1517, and it is time for a German monk to nail some theses to a church door in Wittenberg. Eventually it's 1530, and it's time for the church to confess the faith before the Holy Roman Emperor at the Diet of Augsburg and call out the Augsburg Confession. Eventually, it is the year 2023, and it is time for the church to again make a confession. And we are dealing with something that the confessors of the 16th century did not deal with. It was understood that the Bible simply was the inerrant word of God. Everybody assumed that. But we are no longer dealing with that assumption. And so what we must confess in our day is that the Bible is in fact the inerrant, inspired word of God. In the face of so many church bodies who would say otherwise, who would say it's something like the Pirate's Code, okay, mere guidelines, okay, the church always has to mature. There's always another confession to be made. Because the questions just keep getting harder with more dire consequences. After the man is with the, the neighbors, he is sent to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had already decided that whoever confessed Jesus to be the Christ would be thrown out of the synagogue. And so they ask him, hey, what happened? And he just tells them. And they don't believe. They ask him again. <laughs> Same thing. And then they call him back after going to his parents. We'll come back to that in a second. And so now it's the second or third time that they ask him what happened. And at this point in his maturity, the blind man employs what I like to call evangelical sarcasm. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? 
Hey, do you want a discipleship track? <laughs> I've got one for you right here. Okay, the good news for us is that biting and even sarcastic rhetoric can be a part of the Christian maturation process. Okay, some want to be Christians, but they do not want the bite that it requires. They want to be friends with the world, and they want to be friends with the church. That is not how it works. And this is where the parents come in. This is what they are trying to do. Okay, they don't totally disown their son, but they don't stand up for Christ either. It is imperative to believe with the heart and confess with the mouth. Belief without confession is cowardice. And confession without belief, well, that's what you hate the most about politicians. Christian maturity is true faith in Jesus with the heart and a true confession of who he is. And the parents fall utterly short of this. Now, one thing in Christian maturation which happens is you start to do a complete dive into the Bible. You almost get lost in the scriptures, but this is for your good. And here's an example of this, some things you can glisten when you just totally get lost in the Bible. If you were to count how many times... The word parents occurs in John chapter 9. You would count the number 6, which is all too wonderful. Remember, this is the Sabbath day. This is the seventh day. What John the Evangelist is saying by doing this is showing the parents fall short. Okay, there's a reason in the book of Revelation the number 666 and God's number is 777. Six falls short of seven. Okay, they might even believe it with their hearts, but they don't confess it, so they fall short. And you might think, hey, that's reading into the text a little bit too much. But then, if you would go back and read John 9 and count how many times the name Jesus occurs, seven times. <laughs> Jesus is perfect. He never falls short. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He gives this man rest. He restores him. Okay, it is for reasons like this that the early church gave John, the son of Zebedee, the nickname, the theologian. So many Christians lack maturity. They, want, they don't want to grow up. They say, I don't want to read the Bible. It's too hard. It's too difficult. If you ask a number of Lutherans why they're Lutheran and what it means to be a Lutheran, you might get some good answers, and I'm convinced you would. You also might get some people who said something about the civil rights leader from the 1960s. Or you might get some people who say, I don't know, and I don't care. But we cannot afford that type of attitude. We cannot plead ignorance. At times it might seem complicated, but what in your life is simple? This is what the book of Proverbs is all about. It's about a father writing to a son, trying to impart to him wisdom, because he knows that he is not always going to be around. God gives us the Bible, and then he disappears from our sight, so that we would grow up and mature. And if we do not grow up, then we are in fact doomed. And the reason we are doomed if we don't grow up is because it will cost you something to confess Christ. So if you don't know why you're a Christian, you need to learn why. Eventually you need to think about why you think the way you do. Because if you do not, here's what happens. It happens all the time. Somebody grows up in a Christian household, doesn't think about why goes off to college, is questioned on their faith, they don't know a lick about it, so they dye their hair three different colors, join a Buddhist temple, and burn down a building in Portland. For the blind man, 
Confessing Christ cost him everything. He got thrown out of the synagogue. Confessing Christ will cost us something. It will cost the church. We will get thrown out of good, common, decent society. Okay, we hold unthinkable opinions. But the most offensive has always been this. Jesus Christ is Lord, which means everybody else is not. He is the only way to the Father. That confession got St. Paul thrown into jail. And who knows, it might get us there too. But my friends, take heart. If you are thrown out of good, common, decent society, if you are thrown out of the city, you are in good company. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, when we are thrown out of the city, it is there that we meet Jesus, who himself was thrown out of the city, led out of the city to be crucified. It is in our sufferings and in our persecution that we see Jesus most clearly. Salvation is one outside of the city. And so if we are thrown out there, we are all the better because of it, because it is then and there that we get to see Jesus. Now, Jesus said this on the night when he was betrayed, and the disciples did not at first get what he was saying, but I hope after looking in John chapter 9, when the blind man doesn't see him, but then does see him again, you would start to grasp what Jesus means. This is John 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. May the Lord grant us maturity and growth until that time when he comes again, where we will see him face to face. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please.